Good evening, Winnipeg, or wherever you happen to be listening from. Welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your platform of choice, including Megaphone, Spotify, Google, and Apple. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to have a, a nice little detailed breakdown of Winnipeg's game against the Boston Bruins, the second of a back-to-back in the Atlantic Conference. Last night, Winnipeg scratched out something of a, a pretty hard-fought shootout win against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Even though the Leafs were the much better team, Winnipeg still found a way and got enough saves and made enough nice shots to pull off a nice little victory. For those of you who have yet to see it, make sure you check out the overtime sequence from that uh, extra time period because Winnipeg and Toronto played one of the most breathtaking overtime sequences that I've ever seen. By comparison, Winnipeg's game against the Boston Bruins tonight was a lot slower and a lot more methodical. In fact, I felt Winnipeg had much more control over this game than they did last night. Both teams uh, came into the first period with a lot of hesitance and slow, careful play. Winnipeg tended to be more on the disrupting end while Boston tried to facilitate zone entries into Winnipeg's defensive zone. Surprisingly, it seemed like Boston was a little bit reticent to use some of its team speed from its forwards like David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, and Brad Marchand. In fact, Boston, more often than not, was trying to use long, diagonal stretch passes through the neutral zone to try and find wingers on the left flank. The Jets, for the most part, handled these stretch passes and any ensuing offensive zone possession opportunities uh, resulting from either these passes or controlled entries pretty well. I felt like the Jets in general did enough to disrupt Boston and keep them off their game. The Bruins had something of a difficult time trying to complete passes and, and make plays in the offensive zone, and Winnipeg forced a lot of turnovers and created some nice little counters every now and then. Neither team was really creating all that many offensive opportunities. I don't know that either team had more than three or four shots through the first ten minutes of the game. Compared to Winnipeg's efforts against the Leafs, the Jets controlled uh, the slot area in front of their own goaltender a lot more firmly than they did against Toronto. The Bruins, likewise, really didn't give the Jets a whole lot of looks or opportunities, and yet Winnipeg was the first to profit. Kyle Connor, who's had something of a, a bit of an up-and-down season, on the score sheet he looks fantastic, but uh, you know, obviously his underlying numbers have been something of a, a bit of a tanking issue, uh, well, he actually opened the scoring first for the Jets. Winnipeg sprang a breakout from a, a deep turnover in its own end, and then Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and Nick Ehlers all worked together to pull off a pretty nice move in the offensive zone. Connor, in particular, had a bit of a feint and a nice little dangle to drop the puck between Tory Krug's, like, torso and the edge of his stick blade, and just sort of deked around him and walked in on Yaroslav Halak and then backhanded the puck in the net. We've seen Connor display some deft hands and really gifted one-on-one matchup ability before, but I think that among his career goals, that might be the best individual effort he's displayed. While his defensive zone work and occasionally his puck distribution skills are a little bit left wanting in some areas, there's no question that against an opposing defending skater, uh, I don't know that there are many better offensive wingers um, than Kyle Connor who can basically win that battle almost every time. Shot itself was pretty nice. I thought that Connor did everything and he got payday. I don't know that Halak really had too much of an opportunity to make the stop. Maybe he would have wanted it back, but I think that Kyle Connor was just that much better. After the goal, Winnipeg and Boston were still kind of a little bit on the slower side, but Boston started to pick up the pace. They had a couple of decent opportunities from their bottom six grinding out some possession in front of the net and from behind the net to create some, eh, I wouldn't say like amazing opportunities, but a couple of little shots and, and spinorama shots in front of Laurent Brassois in front of the net, so um, it wasn't like they were just sitting back and waiting. 
Boston especially started to get a little bit of pressure on a couple of mistakes that the Jets made. And I think the most egregious one was this weird miscommunication between Josh Morrissey and Tucker Pullman. Um, They had like a neutral zone transition where Pullman tried to tuck the puck back and it went off of Bressois in their own end. And then Morrissey and Pullman, for some reason, both chased the same skater who had the puck along the wall. Shifley kind of got hung out to dry and didn't really know what to do. So he kind of comes in and aggressively pinches for support. Pasternak is basically trailing behind all three skaters on the other side of the net. No one's really marking him. And by the time anyone realizes Joachim Nordstrom is able to get the puck in, in the pass to Pasternak, it's too late. It's already in the back of the net. Pasternak's one of those guys that you just can't let go unmarked. I mean, no matter what, he's the guy who's going to be one of their best triggermen. I think he has like 62 points on the season coming into tonight, which is pretty nuts. That was his 33rd goal of the season, which I believe would be first for the Rocket Richard race. I think that uh, he has a very good shot of making it at this point. I mean, he's got an incredible release, and he's a very smart player. And like that sequence showed, he has a really predatory instinct for offensive zone positioning. Pasternak is really good, and uh, I I was kind of worried about him coming into tonight, but I was also worried about Brad Marchand, because Marchand's right there and scoring around uh, 60 or 61 points, something like that. Both of them have been on a tear, and they are both supremely skilled attacking forwards. With Winnipeg's penalty uh, penalty kill issues and some of their even-strength offense and defensive issues, I mean, they're, they're struggling in all situations, really, but in particular, those scenarios where Pasternak and Marchand can really excel, yeah, I was, uh, I was a little bit nervous. The first penalty that the Jets took actually went pretty okay. I think Winnipeg did um, enough to disrupt Boston's power play unit, and the Bruins really didn't get any zone time to set up. Again, it just kind of seemed like the Bruins were a little bit sluggish um, throughout most of the first period. It did start to ramp up towards the end, and and the more Boston started getting a little bit of pre-shot movement um, and some cross-seam passing lanes, the more you could tell that the Jets' defense was starting to to buckle a little bit. Brassois had to make two or three stellar saves, including a really great toe save on a, um, a Nordstrom individual effort that was a beautiful deke and almost went in. It's one of those saves that definitely kept the Jets in the first period, even though they were, again, both both the teams weren't really generating a whole lot, but um, Boston had definitely the better of the high dan- danger opportunities right in front of the net. Um, but Bersois was up to the task. He stopped one of the best opportunities and kept it 1-1 for the Jets. Considering Winnipeg had just played the night before against a very high-event, high-intensity team, I thought that they had a pretty okay road period against the Bruins. I probably would have liked a little bit more pace and pressure from the Jets forwards, but um, I understand that they were all probably a bit tired. And then we just saw the reintroduction of, of Dmitry Kulikov into the lineup, which generally means that the foot speed on the back end is going to decrease by a bit. All in all, though, I mean, I can live with the way the first period went around. I mean, I think the Jets did enough to, to keep the game within reach, and that's all I could really ask for. Second period was decidedly not as firmly in Winnipeg's favor as I was hoping. Um, Both teams did start off, again, a little bit tentatively like they did in the first period, but Boston started to break away a little bit, and uh, it was clear that defenseman Lucas Abisa, who was logging a lot of minutes for the Jets over the opening period, was starting to feel the effects of his injuries. Winnipeg as a whole started to look a little bit tired and gassed as the period wore on, but I don't think anyone was feeling it as much as Sabisa was. On several offensive uh, zone possessions for Boston, Sabisa was really struggling to strip the puck and force turnovers. He was, more often than not, on his knees and really not winning any physical challenges whatsoever, which is not exactly what you want to see. Um, and then, you know, Winnipeg already had some issues at even strength in this period, 
And so their defense kind of crumbling a little bit really wasn't helping Winnipeg, um, you know, secure the puck and, and maintain possession. The Jets did get a bit of a nice break, though, in the form of a power play. Now, apparently, people have been saying that everyone's shooting from up high on, on Boston. Uh, a lot of point shots have been going in or deflections. Boston's not really stopping. Well, that's according to the NESN broadcast. I don't know if that's 100% true, but it ended up, you know, proving to be a bit prophetic for this one. Morrissey teed up a one-timer, a really, really vicious slap shot that just seemed to... I'm pretty sure even if it hadn't been deflected, it would have gone in because it was that powerful, that fast, and there was so much space for him to shoot at. But it ended up getting tipped by Andrew Kopp right as it was fluttering towards the net. Great power play goal, and just like that, Winnipeg was back up 2-1. But then, of course, you know, Winnipeg has a penchant for taking some some penalties recently. Um, Some of the calls have been a little bit soft, but Winnipeg also really can't complain all the time. This one was actually earned, and Boston didn't really waste any time capitalizing. The guy that you can allow to score, David Pasternak, did score. I mean, he, he had a nice, really nice slap shot lane right to the net. I think Batetto or or someone was right in front. Um, they were locked in locked in a bit of a physical challenge, and Brassois really couldn't move around a whole lot. So his right shoulder was almost completely exposed. Puck just beats him cleanly. Two two Boston. Not really what you'd hope for. Not not quite the power play goal that you'd really want to give up. Obviously, Winnipeg's PK has had a lot of issues, but this particular goal is just kind of frustrating because it really didn't take any time. There was no setup. It was just a nice one timer off a draw and in. Boston did keep the uh, offensive pressure going, and Chris Wagner actually had a, a funny chance where, I don't know, someone missed a check along the walls as one of the Bruins was coming around from behind the net, and then the puck sort of floated out to Wagner, and he tried this weird spinorama thing that I, I don't know if Persuade actually tipped it off of his glove or something because it rang off the side post and out. Probably one of the more dangerous opportunities that I can remember. There was another one that I think Coyle ended up helping to set up, that just seemed to get real close. It was uh, partially from Danton Heinen, if I recall correctly, but it just sort of fluttered wide of the uh, right side of the cage. It was real close, um, but Winnipeg can probably say that they got a bit of a bit of nice fortune. A couple of decent saves from Brassois, and Winnipeg really couldn't generate that many scoring opportunities in the other end. They did have a few counters late in the second period that I thought were better, um, but you know Boston for the most part owned the run of play. In the last three minutes, though, things kind of came a little bit unglued on one particular sequence where, for some reason, the Jets had an offensive zone possession, and then Neil Pionk is on the ice with Lucas Abisa, and Pionk decides he's going to change, and I'm not really sure why, because there was no need for him to come off the ice. But Sabisa didn't really seem to have the right reaction, because he tries to pinch along the wall. Um, Jake DeBrusque beats him cleanly with a nice little shimmy, uh, gets a breakaway. Sabisa is way behind the play. Potato is coming off the bench, so he's not really a factor in this play. And DeBrusque scores to make it 3-2 Boston, and it's just like, wow, that's kind of embarrassing. I'm not really sure why Pionk thought he needed to change. It didn't really make sense. Uh, but then, just a few seconds later, Boston takes a penalty. Neil Pionk comes on the power play and slaps a shot home from way up high, around the same area that Morrissey fired his shot from, and it's tied again with like seven seconds left in the period. It's a good thing that the Jets have a lot of shooters who can score because, let's be honest, they didn't really have an opportunity to create a whole lot against the Bruins. Boston's defense and, you know, stifling structure, both in the neutral zone and the offensive zone, kind of kept Winnipeg reeling a little bit. Um, It was a bit of a reversal from the opening of the first period where the Jets at least were able to disrupt Boston's zone opportunities. 
here the Jets were a little more overmatched, although I still think that they, they did enough just to keep the scoreline within reach, but they definitely weren't able to create a whole lot of offensive opportunities in the other end. And they're still shooting from greater distances and from the point because it seems like they just don't have any low slot penetration. I will certainly take a 3-3 tie going into the third period, but again, I felt like the mistake on the Pionk change and, and some of the other stuff that happened in the period um, wasn't really wasn't really great for the Jets. But uh, I, I did kind of notice that a couple of guys I haven't been seeing a whole lot of. I think Matthew Perot really hasn't been involved in the play. Um, he, ever since he's returned from injury, he's not really been the same player. And when he's on the ice, he's not really making that much of an impact, except to be behind the play. Jack Roslovic, who also got demoted to the third line today after not really impressing in the top six, I really didn't see that much from him either. Roslovic had a pretty decent start to the season, and then over the past couple of weeks, he's sort of faded out. And I'm just not really seeing enough from him right now. Hopefully he and Pro kind of turn it around as we go into the latter stretch of the season, just because Winnipeg needs a little bit more scoring depth from its bottom six unit, mostly to cover up the fact that the Jets defensemen give up a lot of goals and opportunities. Winnipeg is also going to need to just bench Sabisa, because Sabisa really can't be trusted, especially if he's not healthy and if he's being, you know, if he's both being injured and fatigued, that's just a real bad mix for the Jets. They already can't really skate cleanly out of their own end anyways. They benched Sami Niku after he had an okay, you know, first couple of games back for the Jets. I really feel like he should have been in tonight because the Bruins are a, a bigger, slower team, and I think Niku has the right edge work and, and offensive instincts to make a bit of a mess of their defensive zone structure. If nothing else, he has a bit higher uh, likelihood of actually tracking back and making a play if something happens like it did to Sabisa. Um, Sabisa just looked very winded and out of it and I don't think that he should be playing in the next game. End of the day, though, 3-3 tie going into the third frame. I guess you can probably take that. It's certainly a little bit more than I was expecting. I really thought Winnipeg would be definitely down at this point. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens in the third. Third period definitely was not in Winnipeg's favor, and it started almost from the puck drop. Boston immediately had a lot of pressure in the offensive zone, and a couple of opportunities, one that was, I think, set up by... Coyle or somebody else, they had a nice backhand pass right to a forward in front of the net. It was barely blocked, I think, either by Brassois or Anthony Botetto. Already, though, you could see that the Bruins had a decent amount of jump to their game, and they kept hemming in Winnipeg in the offensive zone and creating a ton of pressure with their forechecking, physicality, passing, and speed. Winnipeg was, at this point, just kind of hanging on and trying to, to really um, maintain the tie, at least, just long enough to hopefully either score a lucky goal somewhere or take it to overtime in a shootout like they did last night. Incredibly, Winnipeg actually struck first in this period um, around the seven-minute mark. They kind of got a weird um, chaotic sequence where Con Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley combined to um, get a weird greasy goal. Connor shoved one on net that sort of rebounded, and, and Shifley was there, uh, and he was Halak was kind of sprawled out, and Shifley is almost below the goal line and sort of backhand shovels it in um, off of a totally dead angle that there's no way that you could really get it under normal circumstances. I kind of laughed because it was a funny goal, uh, and you know, very much against the run of play, but unfortunately for the Jets, things don't really last when they're uh, struggling as badly as they were in this game. A few minutes later, David Pasternak, who'd been something of a pest all, all night and kind of a menace, uh, scored again, this time off of a bad, bad line change from Winnipeg, which they kind of have a habit of doing recently. Winnipeg's line changes always seem to be really late, really slow, very ill-timed, and Winnipeg always gives counters up off of those. For a team that claims to be as well-coached as the Jets are, it's strange that this keeps happening. 
but uh, DeBrusque scores off of the chaos. It's 4-4. And then, like, 20 or 30 seconds later, DeBrusque scores yet again. Pasternak gets his hat trick. DeBrusque gets a brace. It's just a really ugly situation for the Jets. I mean, they had a 4-3 lead, and they pretty much blew it, which... Okay, I mean, they're on the back end of a back-to-back game, and they had a um, they've had a bit of a stressful road trip. Winnipeg's expected goal share over this past month has been dive-bombing into abominable territory. The Jets are really trying to shell up and play more defensive hockey, and it's not going all that well. Tonight, Winnipeg just got beat, and I'm not super surprised. I was surprised that they managed to at least get the scoreline closer than it you know could have been, so all props to the Jets for that, but I think Laurent Brassois wasn't great. The defense was not particularly great. Um, The even strength scoring really wasn't there for the most part. So, you know, I'm not surprised by this result. It's a bit unfortunate. I think going forward, I think they host the the Preds this weekend. Um, So the Jets need to make a few lineup changes. Please no more Gabriel Bork. I think we've seen enough of him. I would like Jansen Harkins back. I would also like to dump one of um, Lucas Abisar, Anthony Batetto to the press box in favor of Sami Niku. I think Niku really being benched for any reason other than injury at this point is is just not an excuse. The Jets' d- defense really can't afford to sit back and, and soak up all this pressure because they don't really soak anything up. They just end up getting scored on, outchanced, outworked. Um, and so the Jets need to start being comfortable taking more risks and opening their game up. I'm not going to complain too much because in you know most of the games that the Jets really didn't deserve to win, they ended up getting some kind of result. They've gone 2-1-1 one, and one in their last four, which for this road trip was pretty good. I will definitely take that. Uh, although the process for me was not particularly good, and I think tonight and parts of yesterday were good examples of why um, I would be a little bit suspicious of Winnipeg's success. Even the win, even the win against the, uh, the Habs the other night was a little bit sketchy. So um, the Jets are kind of in uncharted waters. They usually don't have a record this strong when they're playing this poorly over such a sustained period of time. The trade deadline's coming up. I don't think that the Jets are really going to be able to make any moves. Certainly nothing that's really going to change this team's fortunes. Winnipeg keeps trying to turtle and turtle and turtle, and I think at some point the dam is going to break for this team because Winnipeg just can't keep sitting back and and not having forwards activating or really getting any zone exits or clearances. The goaltending has mostly covered Winnipeg's poor play for, you know, weeks now, but at some point that's just not going to happen anymore. Hellebuck sitting at a 919 this season, which is kind of amazing, and I believe his goal saved above average is, is well ahead of the rest of the pack. I think Darcy Kemper's the only one who's close to him. But um, Hellebuck has definitely been carrying the offensive load for this team uh, because they, they can score goals, but the Jets really can't defend. And sometimes their even strength scoring dries up too. So Hellebuck is, you know, most of this team's um, record at this point. Be cool if the Jets can lend him a little more support because, at, you know, I think in games like this, the Jets had a decent start, but they certainly couldn't hold it. And eventually they caved to all the pressure of the Bruins. And then, like, Boston's a great team, don't get me wrong, but. I felt like the Jets sort of let this one slip out of their hands when they had an opportunity to to pull a result out. Again, Winnipeg was kind of undone by some mental gaffes and errors that were partially avoidable, uh, if not, you know, things that you just don't want to see from a team that's supposed to be contending for a playoff spot. Line changes resulting in goals against two of them, actually. It's just not acceptable. You know, it's one thing if your defense makes a mistake handling the puck or are under pressure, but these are just mental errors and tactical errors from the coaching side of things that really can't happen. These are details that the Jets just don't seem to have right now. So, well, on to the next one. We'll see how Winnipeg does against Nashville. This is a new Nashville team under John Hines. They are currently winning 3-1 against the Chicago Blackhawks. So, 
could be a tough test. We'll see. As always, guys, thanks again for listening, and go Jets go!